This is Farmer's Kitchen with Spinnies on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer and you're listening to the Farmer's Kitchen podcast brought to you by Spinnies. Get ready to feel very hungry indeed. We're in conversation with not one but two chefs for everything from pastry to local produce, learning more about functional food, exploring traditional Irish dishes with Spinnies. And would you spend your hard-earned dirhams on a food NFT? Plus, if you're a bit rubbish in the kitchen, we've got a company to help. Singaporean food courtesy of a Michelin-style chef at home. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are talking food this afternoon and a sweet end to your week. We will love a good dessert and one man who knows them very well is pastry chef Hugo Sip. He's joining us from Abu Dhabi where he's got a trio of stunning eateries to uh, talk to us about and explain a bit of the magic and the science behind pastry. How are you, chef? Hello, good afternoon. How are you? I am wonderful, thank you. So tell us about where you are responsible for putting smiles on faces. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you very much to have me. Uh, so I'm uh, Chef Hugo uh, from uh, from Abu Dhabi, uh, as you said. Um, I am a pastry chef in uh, Phuket, uh, Abu Dhabi, which is a which is a French uh, French restaurant, and uh, and I'm uh, yeah. And you obviously grew up in France. Now, full disclosure, I moved to the UAE with my ex-boyfriend, who was a French pastry chef. But I'm going to put that aside for the sake of this conversation, because you seem like a very nice man. (laughs) But tell us a little bit about how you fell in love with pastry. What is it that really kind of captured your imagination, your attention, even as a young man? Yeah, basically, uh, I start uh, very young, the pastry, because... uh, I was maybe uh, five or six years old wow. when I uh, start with my uh, with my family. You know, the the, the Sunday um, it was our uh, family meeting to uh, to make some cakes and uh, and uh, some cakes and pastry, and uh, so it start uh, it start like that. And uh, and then after when I was maybe 14, 15 years, 15 years old, I. Um, I was not that good at, that good at school, obviously, and uh, I started to 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 look what I wanted to uh, to do, and uh, and I uh, I start to go in culinary school, and uh, and after that I I start for five six years culinary school, and uh, and then I I, I start as a, as a pastry chef basically. And the, you say you make it sound easy. I started as a pastry chef. We know that the kitchen is a hard place, um, yeah. you know, in terms of hours. And the pastry especially, this is a very specific discipline. There tend to be chefs and then pastry chef. This is something that people specialize in. With pastry, yeah. it's it's a science. It's precise. Yeah, sure. Basically, I started my uh, my career in, uh, in the kitchen. Uh, I mean, in the savoury section. Uh, and then I decided to to go uh, to go to the sweet side uh, first of all because I love sweets <laughs> and uh, and uh, seg- second of all because yes for me is more uh, about technique about precision and uh, is what uh, is what I love in this um, in uh, in this pastry is that uh, you cannot you, you know we have all the recipe with uh, with uh, some gram and uh, and uh, if we if we miss anything in pastry mm-hmm. is uh, is very hard to uh, to to fix it you know what I mean so um, basically uh, if in kitchen you you can still add a little bit of butter a little bit of cream you can fix it but uh, in pastry is more hard mm-hmm. and 
for me then is in, is a more interesting also for for my side uh, to to be in this uh, this section. Chef, can I ask you? You know, you grew up in France. You're now here in the Middle East. Yeah. Are there different trends or tastes depending on regions? Have you thought about, you know, the UA market being quite particular yeah, about yeah, certain flavors? Yeah, basically here uh, now is four years that I'm here in UAE. Um, you know, plus here in Phuket, we have a, a lot of, uh, of local uh, local uh, guests which is coming. Uh, I have an example uh, like um, the very dark, like dark chocolate up to 70% of chocolate. Uh, the local they don't they don't they don't really eat, uh, eat uh, that much uh, bitterness of chocolate. You know, mm-hmm. so all this recipe like that before uh, w- when I came during these four years. Uh, I had to adapt my recipe and to make, uh, I get the example of, of chocolate, uh, to get like uh, more like milky uh, mm. with milk chocolate to make to make more more bit of sweet, but not that bitter, you know. So there is a lot of uh, of, uh, of things like that in UAE that uh, that I had to adapt for the uh, for the, the guests that we have uh, that we have here. Also, um, I know that. Uh, uh, most of European guests, uh, they are eating like uh, the lemon and the, the citrus. That's me. But, uh, That's me. I'm lemon tart. Yeah, yes. tart citron. Favorite. Absolute I favorite. Have to, I, I have to, to, to adjust uh, all the all the, the product that I'm using in the dessert uh, because, uh, yeah, because here they, 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 they love the pistachio, they love the uh, hazelnut praline, the chocolate, the vanilla, oh. all this like warm warm taste that you can can find it but it's very difficult uh, to make something with lemon with uh, on most most of it is your european guest which is a uh, love love that you know well, and you also worked really closely with uh, Chef Pierre Gagné, who's famed internationally and is here in the UAE as well what were some yeah. of your big lessons that you took from Chef Gagné? Uh, actually actually from the time that uh, that I started the, the kitchen Chef Gagné uh, Chef Pierre Gagnier was a um, was kind of, was a star for me, you know, and I was all the time like um, uh, I, I wanted to work uh, to work with him for a very long time. And uh, when I had this opportunity, uh, when I joined uh, first, I joined in Dubai as a, as a sous chef in his uh, restaurant in uh, Intercontinental in Dubai. Um, and, and for me, it, it came uh, like a, a dream becomes true, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, after it gave me the possibility also, because here in Phuket, it's Chef Pierre Gagnier who's signing, uh, who's signing the, the menu. So they gave me the possibility to, to, uh, to, um, to, grow, to grow with them. Uh, and of course, it was uh, it was a huge pleasure, pleasure, and uh, and I'm very uh, I'm very proud of it. Uh, and about about Pierre Gagnier is f- for me is like a magi- magician, you know. Is uh, like mixing some some item that some item that in your mind never you will think about uh, <laughs> mixing this product and this product, you know. And at the end, when you mix. All, all that is become something like just, uh, just uh, crazy, you know. What's your favorite thing to make right now? If we were to come and visit, order from the menu, what's your most proud dish at the moment, chef? Uh, actually, actually, here in Phuket, we have uh, our uh, our very known uh, millefeuille, mm. which uh, which I think it will stay uh, all the time uh, on the menu in Phuket because uh, because the people love that. And uh, actually now we have um, 
also the the apple tart uh, and the apple tart is became also very famous for like three four months that we have on the menu um, and uh, and just for the for the story of the apple tart is is with a puff pastry uh, with uh, hazelnut um, with uh, like kind of hazelnut paste uh, some um, some apple which is sliced very 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 thin uh, all around the all, all around the, this uh, this uh, this dough uh, with a bit of butter, coconut sugar, we put it in the oven, and uh, when we remove from the oven, it becomes very, very caramelized on the bottom of the uh, of the of the tart, uh, which is giving this uh, this uh, crispy apple tart. Uh, we, we're serving that with a, with a, with a, um, a vanilla whipping cream, with a little <laughs> bit of mascarpone. Uh, oh, do you deliver? Do you deliver to Dubai? Please say yes. Do you know what? My husband works in Abu Dhabi. I'll get him to order it to his office. Chef, thank you so, so much. (laughs) Sounds delicious. And I just had a very, very sweet ending to our Friday afternoon. Hugo, chef there as we get in Abu Dhabi. Really appreciate your time. And I think mouths watering across the UAE, chef. Really appreciate it, especially on a Friday when I know service is busy. Get back into the kitchen and go and make some more people happy. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Now, you know how much I love your recommendations. So do get in touch and share where you've eaten, what you've eaten recently. Give us some ideas and inspiration for the weekend. And full disclosure, our next guest came through one of your messages, which was, I went to a brilliant restaurant um, at Jamil Art Centre. It's called Table, and we're joined by the chef now, exec chef, Carlos Frenzy. He's lived in Singapore, Acapulco, Salvador, New Orleans, uh, KL. So being around so many different cultures and cuisines, he's going to come up with a whole lot of fusion. He has done just that with a whole lot of local produce too. Chef, how are you? How are you? I'm doing great, actually. Well, thank you for being with us. I know Fridays are very busy in the world of restaurants, so I really do appreciate your time this afternoon. So tell us a little bit about how your travels have influenced you and kind of created the lens and your foodie philosophy that you work with. Uh, I started actually working in Dubai. Uh, My first work was, sorry, in in, uh, France. I was apprenticeship for the one of the best restaurants in, in France, in Lyon. It's Paul Bocuse. I think I've learned how to work with the humble ingredients that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also with expensive ingredients. Uh, yeah, probably that's always the thing. And then I moved to US, work in US a little bit. Then after that, work with uh, Thomas Keller for quite a while. And after that, I work in, um, I went back to London and I work in London. And probably in London, that's where I start to uh, pay attention to more to the seasonability as a, as a chef mm-hmm. and look how I need to work with the fo- close to with farmers and create the dishes that is during the season that I have. for example during the winter I cannot use uh, I cannot use asparagus but I need to use uh, root vegetables which was first time for me mm-hmm. and I fall in love with the working with the root vegetables but then the spring for me was the most exciting actually. Uh, season for me and probably that kind of like traveling around the world and studying in Malaysia also kind of shaped me as a chef in the flavor wise working with Asian ingredients, uh, Asian herbs, uh, Asian spices, then working with um, European uh, seasonality. Then then when you live in America, it's completely different over there <laughs> than when I moved here in Dubai. I mean, like I grew up literally in Dubai. 
well, let's start with that. Uh, my, my parents were here since 93, I oh. think so, yeah. 1993, but uh, all my weekend, uh, sorry, all my vacations, I spent one month or two months here in UAE with my mom and my dad. I wanted to ask you, Chef, a little bit more about seasonality because, I, you know, I'm from the UK and we, as you say, we talk about asparagus season or, you know, game bird season or, you know, whatever it yeah. might be or berries. Um, can you explain from a chef's point of view why that seasonality is so important when it comes to flavours and availability in, in, a, in a way that we might not necessarily be aware of as diners? Um, honestly, it's it's we're trying to. Uh, it's more important for us as a chefs and also as a customer to understand that you cannot have a strawberry during winter. It's you, you're not going to have a strawberry that is going to taste the same as it tastes at summer or a spring when it's the season. It's completely different taste. It's it's also uh, you helping farmers to uh, to produce their product in a sense of how you're going to produce it and uh, think about it, what we can do with that product and how we can uh, produce that product during that time. And I, I think it's just, it's, it's all about the education and we just got kind of, pardon for, to say that, we get kind of lazy. Yeah, we, uh, we go to the supermarket and we see strawberry during winter time and be like, oh cool, we're gonna have a strawberry during winter time or have asparagus during winter time. But then when you come home and you cook it yourself and you be like, you know what, it doesn't taste real, it tastes like a plastic. Mm -hmm. Of course, mm -hmm. it will taste the plastic because it doesn't have a soil, it doesn't have the sun, it doesn't have a right temperature, it doesn't have a right, uh, um, uh, uh, what you call this, the har harvesting season where it needs to be harvested to give that beautiful flavor to it. That's probably, was the, uh, that's probably the thing that you need to educate yourself and understand that we need to go back in the days, uh, the time where... Not everything were hydroponic and not everything were available that time, but uh, all we, all, it's also our bodies. You know, we, sometimes you just need to listen to our bodies, what they want. And if you see it during springtime, you want to, uh, again, back to strawberries or you <laughs> want, uh, I don't know, watermelon. But then a winter time when you're asking for watermelon, your body says, I don't want a watermelon, you know. I just want something else. I want something heavy. I want some like a something comforting and something great at that moment probably so how yeah. does it work here in dubai where we you know we're not necessarily following the seasons as such and as you say we've kind of been spoiled over the years with so many things being yeah. imported thankfully we have started to see more and more growing how are you working yes. with local farmers and how is that translating to your menu chef all right for the first question uh in dubai it works everything opposite uh my spring and my summertime is actually winter time, uh, which is funny. Uh, I mean, like uh, my harvesting of starts in October and it's finishing by mid of March, which is right now. Um, most of the ingredients are dying out in the sense of uh, you will not have tomatoes same as tomatoes a month ago. Uh, let's say because of the temperature, it's getting hotter and tomatoes need the cooler temperature. And it's, it's worked really opposite way. And during summertime uh, here in Dubai and springtime, it's for me like in UK, uh, a winter time where I need to survive on preservation and mm -hmm. fermentation and pickling and jamming, uh, jamming the things to make them work for my menu. So tell that us then, the because thing. tables described as this kind of artisan bakery with a seasonal dining concept. Make us hungry, Chef Carlos. Tell us about what's on the menu. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, right now we're uh, at this season we are changing. In April during Ramadan time, we're gonna change the menu for all-day dining menu, which is gonna be using uh, local ingredients that are available right now. And during the May, we are planning for the seasonal menu, tasting menu. We are trying to move, uh, do like what they do in UK. We want to do game, and we don't. We want to do roots. We want to dedicate the whole three months of uh, tasting for the game in UAE, which is uh, probably you wouldn't believe they have actually quail, uh, quail birds, what? pigeon and camel. Yes, and guinea fowls, which is, was amazing when I I found out in Sharjah there is a farm that in Sharjah that produces guinea fowls, and I was like, wow, that's really amazing. And the guinea fowls are brought from UK to, over here to grow. That's so beautiful, and it's just it's 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 quite crazy, but at the same time, it's so amazing to have that such a produce over here in this country. And I say game camel because I, I consider camel a game meat. If if it makes sense to someone, maybe it's not, but but it kind of considers to me as a game a game taste because it's a little bit rich in flavor and it's sweet. Mm-hmm. And if, especially you make it like one of the dishes. I'll uh, open a secret for you. I have a camel beauty of camel. Uh, because it's three different parts of camel. We use tenderloin as a tartar, raw camel, which is tastes so sweet. It tastes like venison, literally. Then we're doing one as a like a well, I call it like a tsukuni, like a Japanese style yakitori, mm-hmm. brown one. And the other one we do the short ribs. I mean, like uh, it's not a rib cage, but yeah. it's under the ridge, under the hump. And we're doing like cooking it for three days, <laughs> and it, we're using. Um, uh, drumsticks, leaves, uh, if I'm going to pronounce correctly because I don't really know how to pronounce correctly. It's called Marunga leaves. So we're oh, making yeah, like a Marunga like the mar- syrup. Yeah, the Marunga. I think grow, it grows in our yeah, garden. It's weirdly yeah, really it good goes- for breast milk production, I've been told. Yeah, it's one of the best. It's, it's like one super, of the best things you, if you did, play around with it. Did you ever think growing up in Dubai that you'd ever be on the radio talking about preparing camel three ways and talking about taking a cut from near the hump? It's very surreal. Um, never, never, <laughs> never. If you ask me that, I will be like, I would laugh at your face and I say, maybe, <laughs> never, never. And then um, when, when we think about seasonality or availability, I suppose is probably a better question. Um, is there anything that you mm. would love to see here produced locally that you haven't quite got your hands on yet where where are the gaps where are the opportunities i i think uh well for me it was probably caviar because I'm, I'm half russian after all mm-hmm. uh, i really mm-hmm. do i grew up in uh, caviar and uh, working in french restaurants most of them my life probably truffles that would be amazing i mean there is a local truffle by the way it's a, it's not not a local truffle they call it it's like a big, huge mushroom fungus that grows in the desert, but it's not the same as as a truffle we know. It's have a different taste. I think maybe someone can try to figure out how he can do it or some way do it with farmers. I, I, I speak with a couple of farmers exactly. With my farm, Mr. Muhammad, which is have amazing produce. He showed me lemon verbena. I've been looking oh. for lemon verbena for so many years here in UAE. And he told me that he grows it. And now we, I just produce everything with lemon verbena. Oh, I just love that thing He sounds so like a much. good guy to know. Now, before I let yeah. you back to the kitchen, for anyone who hasn't been down to Jamil Art Center and, and been through your doors at table, how do they work together? Why do you feel like you're in the right place, I guess, in terms of energy and values? Well, we're located in Jamil Art Center. It's a beautiful place. I mean, honestly, we have a spectacular, spectacular view. Plus, we have art where you can go around. Because I'm sitting right now outside, and I can see beautiful view, and it's really amazing. And probably because uh, it's kind of 
my food and my team, we create an art more likely than just the food to eat, to fill yourself. It's more artistic food, we call it. It's more into creating something different and creating um, a, a small painting on a plate. Let's put it that way. I love that. You also do cookies, so I'm, I'm fully on board. I, I, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's that shout out to my executive pastry chef. She is the most talented and most youngest executive pastry chef over here. She... She does really beautiful jobs with a pastry. Honestly, she, she like we're changing the menu next season in April. We're gonna have new menu and we try a couple of things, and she's making gluten free and egg free vegan uh, cake that is just tastes like it's just have all those ingredients. It's something beautiful, something different and unique, honestly. You and the Dream Team. We've had a number of messages going how to find out more. It's spelled T-E-I-B-L-E. You can find them on, on Instagram and things that with an underscore afterwards. Chef, thank you so much for your time. Really thank inspiring you. to hear about your joint journey and what's on offer there on the menu. And I think a lot of people hopefully coming down this weekend to uh, eat seasonally, eat locally and maybe eat a few cookies as well. Chef Carlos joining us from Table at Jamil Arts Centre. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. We were down at Art Dubai just yesterday and big buzz around digital art, NFT being the big buzz phrase of the moment. And now Chef Alex Espiros is joining us. He has got combined his passion for food and art to create a first ever collection of special NFTs, digital artwork of glow-in-the-dark dishes. And apparently... Going like hotcakes. Now, NFTs, I'm still getting my head around, non-fungible tokens, a unique digital file that's stored on a blockchain network. So they made news last spring when a digital collage linked to an NFT was sold in a Christie's auction for more than $69 million. Chef Alex joining us live on the line now. Great to have you with us. Where did this idea come from? Hello, Helen. How are you doing? I hope well, you enjoy the day. I am very much enjoying the day. I think uh, Friday... Much needed. Um, and I love talking food. And we're kind of talking food today, but not really. Tell us about turning food or food photography into NFT, Chef. Fantastic. Actually, you know, like with my team, um, we're creating different things, you know, like every time. Then for this time, you know, like uh, two weeks ago, we went through and we make uh, the first NFT food in the world. Then... Uh, we love you know the art and uh, as we love the art we create the dishes you know like to nfts now what is all about that uh, it was a beautiful dinner for sephora one of the nights we make like a glowing in a dark dinner and my team came over and it was like okay this is fantastic that this is looking beautiful then i was like okay guys i think the world is changing and we're going back to the digitalized and to the art then let's make the dishes as the NFTs. Now, then, th- this is where I, where I kind of lose my understanding. So please bear with me. And I don't mean to offend or ask any silly questions, but please help me understand. So you're turning a photo of food that you've taken. I have to say the images are really stunning, kind of neon glow in the dark. You're turning that image into an NFT which people can then own. And as we said, you know, it's in the blockchain, it can go up in value, fingers crossed. So this is you as a chef, kind of leveraging a trend, I guess. Are you trying to striking while the iron is hot? Is that fair? Yes. Here's my question, chef. Who wants them? Because I want food. <laughs> I don't want food Fantastic. photos. <laughs> Let me tell you all about that, right? Like, you know, uh, 
you know, the world is changing and, you know, like uh, the people actually developing different things. Then what we actually do is like we making the food and we create, you know, like the beautiful art on the dish. Then at this time, you know, like we taking the pictures and we actually putting online, then people start investing on that. Now, um, you know, the world is changing. We live in 2022 and actually, you know, what is happening is, you know, like, it's okay, the food, but the image and, you know, the first, like, question, like, for the food is, what is it all about? When you sit and you see the dish, the first thing you do is, like, actually watching it. Mm-hmm. And after go through the taste and the flavor, et cetera, et cetera. Then uh, everybody, like, you know, who wants this picture? This is an art. This is, uh, a chef is an artist, right? And, uh, you know, like, as a chef, we are an artist, and, you know, like, you can have the food. Now, what is happening is, if you get the NFT from us, you're going to have the private dining experience, you know, like with me and my team. So I do get to eat. Your location. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We're talking NFTs and food. Is this something that you would be interested in investing in? It is a bit of a buzz phrase at the moment. And now Greek chef Alex is with us, combining his passion for food and art. The first ever collection of special NFTs um, have his glow-in-the-dark dishes. Um, Chef Alex, go on, make us hungry. Tell us about some of the dishes that have been photographed for this collection. Fantastic. Before I say for the dishes, I was going to tell you, like, you know, the glowing in the dark, it was under the UV lights, right? Then uh, it was like a lot of effort and work for six months, you know, to put uh, vitamins and collagen, all these things together to start glowing in the dark, right? Then with all this idea, and as I'm Greek, we create one of my best dishes, actually, and this is where people, they're investing a lot, is the burrata salad, look like a tomato, with the skin of the tomato mm-hmm. and finishing with the basil and different herbs, you know, like from Greece, actually pesto and black olive, you know, dehydrator at the bottom. Uh, this it was one of my favorite dishes, actually, and this is actually the most incredible dish. People, they start investing like crazy. <laughs> so people, there is a demand for this, and I, I really don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer or a cynic. I just don't quite understand that, you know, who would be wanting to spend money on something that they cannot eat or touch. I'm just, my head just can't quite get there yet, Chef. But as you said, there is a food element to it. Can I ask what some of the bids are coming in? Like, you know, I, I know there's a website I could have a look at, but can you tell us how much they're going for? Of course. Actually, the bids, they, uh, we start, we landed out like two weeks ago and we're almost $20,000 or included. Then we had a bid last night, you know, like it's going through uh, approximately to, uh, to Ethereum because mm-hmm. you have to use a cryptocurrency actually to buy. Then the Burrata at the moment is approximately of uh, three to $5,000. So what do I know? Nothing is apparently the answer. <laughs> so for for whoever successfully bids on this, there's obviously a time frame in mind. They will get to have some food in real life that they can actually eat. Is that right? It's not actually. Yes, it is right, but it's not right. The, the world is changing. We are in the 2022. And uh, actually, you know, as we develop and we create this disease as an art, uh, we say, let's do it, you know, like, uh, we was also not really imagining, you know, it's going to be massive and everybody around the world that we're going to be talking for me and my team uh, regarding, you know, the <laughs> NFT dishes. But, uh, like, the world is changing, as we say, and uh, we're showing to the people also what is the art behind all the flavors and the taste we have created, you know, for this 
dinner, as many different dinners, you know, we have created. If people do want to bid on it and find out more, Alex, what's the best way of getting in touch and checking out the artworks online? Uh, I think the best way is like to go through my website. Then they can find straight away, you know, like the link there. My website is chefsperhos.ae. And, uh, you know, like we have many, many different collections is coming soon. Then people are going to see more crazy artists come. Promises, promises. It's really interesting to, to think about this being a direction. It, it, it could be a pun fully intended flash in the pan or it could be a completely different direction for creativity and, and investment. In the meantime, Alex, thank you for bringing this to our attention. Really interesting to find out a little bit more. And now I want some burrata. Chef Alex, thank you. And if you do want the website, get in touch with me on 4001. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. It is St. Patrick's Day next week, 17th of March. Um, and there's Ronan Keating coming to uh, the Coca-Cola Arena. There's going to be all sorts happening across town. But if you're staying at home, you might want to get a bit traditional on the food front. Joining us on air is now Karen D'Souza, the Deputy Content Editor at Spinney's, for some great Irish foodie chat. And uh, Karen, I am half Irish, so my Irish mammy will be listening carefully to see just how much (laughs) I love the food of her homeland. How are you? Happy Friday. I'm very well, thank you, and lovely to talk to you again. Well, this current issue of Nourish is all about celebration. We've got Mother's Day in there, we've got Holy and St. Patrick's Day. I mean, it is all about the food. So we're going to have some recipes today um, and some of the Irish ingredients and produce that you've got on the shelves at Spinney's. Can we start off with some of the recipes? And some of them are foods that I grew up with, either my mum cooking them at home or when we went back over to Ireland to have my relatives cook, which... Don't, if Mum is listening, I'm sorry, Mum, but that that was better. Um, Col- Colcannon. Now, for anyone who's not familiar with Colcannon, uh, Karen, can you explain what it is? So Colcannon is basically a traditional Irish dish of mashed potatoes with um, cabbage traditionally. But uh, we decided to mix things up and we use kale. Um, so you use baked as well as mashed potatoes in, in this dish and uh, uh, russet potatoes are basically the best choice for this because they're a great mashing potato as well as a roasting potato. Um, so you basically uh, boil the potatoes first and um, then you um, slice them in half and then you scoop out the flesh and that that is mashed and you have to keep the shell of the potato intact mm-hmm. and then you mix the mash with... Um, Whatever you have, actually, though we used uh, beef bacon and uh, lot, a lot of butter and sour cream. I'm so and other glad you said that. that. I was so glad. <laughs> I was like, you can't please tell me you're not going to try and do a healthy cock and there has to be <laughs> no almost way. too much butter. Sour cream as well. Oh, Karen. Yes. And we also use some Irish cheddar cheese just to give it that salty hit and uh, rich flavor. And then all of that is um, banged into the oven again and uh, make it nice and crispy. And yeah, that's uh, our style of cold can. It sounds phenomenal. This is proper, you know, stick to your ribs type food. I I know the temperatures have been going up this week, but I desperately hope they go back down again so I can, you know, really get full full carb loading going on and uh, have that kind of wintry feel. Now, unsurprisingly, potatoes do, of course, figure um, kind of front and centre at some of the St. Patrick's Day recipes you've got in the new Nourish magazine. You've done a salad. Come on. Yes. Come on. Is it healthy? Does it have to be um, healthy? No, it would. Good. <laughs> Just checking. Um, this has plenty of butter as well because 
well, but it makes everything taste better. Butter uh, is better. better, yes. Yes. Um, so for this one, I mean, uh, an old-fashioned potato salad just sort of looks one-dimensional at times with everything the same color. So uh, we sort of reinvented this one and we use new potatoes because um, their skin is like really delicious and flavorful. And when you mash them slightly, uh, you get a larger surface area with extra crispy bits in between. Um, so we roasted these um, baby potatoes and then um, we paired it with uh, garlic aioli that was flavored with smoked paprika. Mm. So it adds just that right level of, of spice. And instead of totting everything together, we smeared the garlic aioli across the platter and then the rest of the potato salad was piled on top of it. Mm. Um, so this, this makes a really great uh, barbecue side dish. Um, and yeah, we couldn't get enough of it. Now, I know we're talking about cooking and recipes today, but this, I just need to be honest, the potato salad in the deli section at Spinney's is excellent. Like it's almost not worth you making your own. So <laughs> shout out to whoever is making that. Now, I was just talking um, earlier in the week, we were talking about sustainability and I've had a few messages going, will Spinney's think I'm a weirdo if I take my own jars and Tupperware to the deli section? And I was like, no, I think that's fine. My husband does that with olives. Is that quite a common thing now with customers bringing in their own packaging rather than using what's behind the counter? I mean, it's it's uh, we 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 are promoting sustainability, and if customers want to bring in their own Tupperware, that's that's the best thing possible. Yes. Um, if right. you've been to our new Lion store um, in um, Sustainable City, uh, you'll see that there are plenty of uh, signs in store that say "Bring your own Tupperware," and we're happy to like fill in, fill fill it with our salads. Um, and there are also like uh, plenty of uh, refill sections for household household goods. Yum. Okay. So I just wanted to say, if, if, if you're listening to this going, I really fancy potato salad, but I can't be bothered to make it. The one in the deli section is excellent. Now, it wouldn't be, in my mind, a fair representation of Irish food without an Irish potato pancake. They've got a special name, though. What have you, what, how have you kind of introduced them in Nourish magazine, Karen? Uh, so this one is called Boxy Pancakes. And um, actually, uh, you could actually use leftover mash from the previous night's dinner to make this. Um, and it, but it also contains grated potatoes. So there's a bit of mash. But it's also, they also get a little bit of chunky bits. Carb on um, carb. Good stuff. Yes. And, um, and when we've piled it up with smoked salmon and creme fraiche. But Spinney's also has some delicious smoked tuna that you could use um, instead of salmon. And if you're feeling a little extra fancy, you could always top it with caviar. Mm, I don't think that's what my Irish granny had, but I, I, think, I think she probably <laughs> would have liked to try it. Um, now, we were speaking recently with one of your colleagues talking about exactly that sustainability in some of the countries that are doing really, really well when it comes to producing and farming methods, even transportation methods. And Ireland was really celebrated to be honest and I know you've got quite a lot of produce from farmers who are located in Ireland and are really big on that sustainability piece and that's yeah. not about sacrificing taste or you know flavor or you know or kind of quality with with that um with that in, in the front of mind this is about it all really what are some of the producers that you really want to kind of fly the flag for in store yeah, so, so we, we work with quite a few, among them Flahavans and uh, Tios, um, as well as the Nest Box the Egg Company, where we source our organic free-range and omega-3 eggs from. 
And um, basically, all of them believe that you have to work in harmony with nature to produce food that's not only delicious, but also nutritious. Um, so when it comes to um, the Nest, Nest Box Egg Company, um, all their hens uh, roam from dawn to dusk in green pastures. And so they get, they get fresh air, fresh water, um, fantastic feed that's nutritious. And that, and that sets the standards for the kind of eggs that they supply spinnies with. Um, and they have a whole, whole lot of checks as well that go into uh, the eggs before they are sent to us. Um, and when you when you talk about flahavans, I mean that's synonymous with uh, oats, and mm-hmm. everyone would have seen all um, their the various oats in Spinney's stores. Um, but they were actually uh, talking about sustainability long before it became a buzzword. Um, they they started using their uh, oat husks to um, power their boiler instead of coal way back in the 1980s. So. They were this making is, huge strides already. Who knew? All right, okay. Um, so this is this is all kind of I love this kind of historical, but also modern in some ways. Now crisps. Oh, I know we've been talking about potatoes, <laughs> <laughs> but you do have you do have some great crisps in store as well. Tell us a little about some of the some of the flavors and even the cooking techniques that they're using. The Irish yes, buds. So- and so if you if you want to talk about an Irish brand, so there's Keos, obviously, and uh, they have been uh, farming potatoes for over 200 years. Mm. But um, a few decades ago, they decided to um, focus on uh, creating premium crisp because that was becoming a big thing in the in the UK at that time. And um, they were actually the first farmers in Ireland to make uh, artisanal crisps from their own product. Um, now they uh, make an effort to source um, their very, source the, the ingredients for the flavors from local farmers um, who are also the best at what they do. So, for example, um, their salt is sourced from specialist merchants um, on the Atlantic coast, and mm. the merchant's name is O'Neill's. And they also uh, offer a shamrock flavor. What? Now, um, Come on. I had, I had, I had never tried. next. What's the shamrock <laughs> flavor like? Uh, so that's um, sort of garlicky. Um, mm. I had never, I had never even thought of trying anything shamrock flavored before I got to Spinney's. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, and and uh, they and they source uh, shamrock from a farmer who actually exports across the globe, including to the White House for the White House's St. Paddy Day's St. Oh. Paddy Day's um, celebrations. So, so yeah. So they are doing um, a lot. They're making they're making huge strides in sourcing from farmers who uh, are within the same uh, region as they are. And uh, they also kettle fry their crisps in small batches instead of using industrial fryers. So they're healthy. Yeah, so they, yeah. Um, I mean healthy, <laughs> healthy, healthy-ish. Um, but we believe that they're more flavorful. Oh, okay, right. I know I'm getting on the way home. Some shamrock flavored crisps. Um, we're asking everyone to get in touch this afternoon, Karen, to share what their last meal on earth would be. What comes to mind when I say that? What would you like to leave on a high with? Um, I think it'll be boxy pancakes. Oh, yes, with, with caviar. 
Good girl. Yes, with caveat. Karen, huge congratulations on the new issue. It is an absolute thing of beauty. The issue of Nourish is on the shelves now. Um, And as I said, a real celebration of celebrations. Everything from Mother's Day ideas, Holy, of course, coming soon, St. Patrick's Day next week, um, Easter as well. So, oh, by the way, you're killing me with the Easter displays in store. I took my daughter in the day and she was like, can I get a chocolate bunny? I was like, no, not for another week. Please give me a break. So we're doing something right. Yeah, take all my money. It's like the the most amazing um, Cadbury's mini egg display I have ever seen in my life. So, yes. My waistband is not thanking you for it, but um, I, but I kind of am. Karen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. In advance, happy St. Patrick's Day, and you've inspired me to go and buy some spuds, definitely some shamrock crisps as well. Really appreciate your time. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. I am very happy to admit this. I love food. I love eating out. I love people cooking for me. But when it comes to turning my hand... In the kitchen myself, it is not the greatest. I actually find cooking quite stressful, quite anxiety-inducing, and the thought of having eight people over for dinner makes me want to lock myself in the bedroom. So we're bringing in the experts. So if you also need a bit of help when it comes to cooking up something pretty special, maybe you should try Nashka. They produce recipe kits inspired by food from extraordinary places. And joining us now is Nisha Ramasetti, the co-founder. Nisha, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Helen. Thanks for having me again. You are very welcome. You are part of the Spinney's Incubator Programme. Are you able to give us a little bit of history about how the company started and how it's really changed in the last couple of years? Because it's been quite the journey. Yeah, I know. It's been been incredible, actually. So we were actually part of the first um, cohort of the Spinney's Incubator Programme in 2020. Um, And uh, we were one of the brands that won in 2020. We launched um in november um and so we've been um around for a little over a year now so about a year and four months um and when we launched this is it's quite an interesting story but when we launched we my partner and i didn't have fnb experience and we also didn't have any entrepreneurship experience so it was a first time for both of us to do both of those things and it's been um a roller coaster and here we are um oh, less than a year wonderful. and a half later yeah it is wonderful because this is an idea that was really kind of born out of lockdown of wanting to travel. And, you know, I think for so many of us, when we travel, it's actually the meals that we remember. You know, it's like, I could remember when we had that amazing grilled fish in Portugal or that little place in Rome yeah. or that pizza in Croatia or whatever that might be. You know, it's these meals that kind of take us back to exploration. And for, you know, unfortunately, quite a long period of time, um, we weren't able to have those in this kind of rich culinary explorations. But you've brought that travel to our to our kitchens. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the countries you've been inspired by and, and kind of captured the flavours of um, in the past? Yes, of course. So, so I mean, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. So we, the, the whole concept of Naksha, it was born of our love for travel and food. So some of the countries we've been inspired by, Kenya, Sri Lanka, Jamaica, Grenada, um, and most recently Singapore. Um, so we've we've basically tried to take off the beaten track dishes from these countries and allow people to cook these at home. So recipes you may not have necessarily heard of unless you've been to those countries, but are absolutely delicious and you've got to try. So we're trying to kind of showcase culture in that way. And Nisha, what comes in the kit? Let's just kind of, I mean, I have to say the packaging's beautiful it really really is but once you open it what can people expect to find and what would they need to get in order to bring that meal together yeah great question so basically our kits are flexi 
So what that means is they contain everything you need except the meat or the veg for it. Um, so uh, you can either choose to have a meat, pro- meat form of protein or a vegetable. We recommend different substitutes. Um, and what that allows you to do is kind of choose what you feel like doing on the day. Mm-hmm. We don't include um, fresh products in the food, in the kits. So what I mean is we don't include, obviously, uh, meat like chicken or veg like spinach. So that means the kits don't go bad. So you can buy a few and just keep them in your pantry. Um, they contain things like spices, paste, sauces, coconut milk, um, noodles, um, canned goods, um, difficult to find kind of ingredients that you would normally not struggle to find in the supermarket. And you just have to add a couple of things that we include in the back in a checklist. So either chicken or uh, sweet potato or a bit of coriander, for example. Um, And you follow the recipe inside and just have a gourmet meal um, that you've made from a different country. Yummy. Right. Well, up next, we are going to be exploring Singapore. Uh, We're talking with Naksha this afternoon. Uh, Nisha on the line. Um, And there's a bit of a golden ticket. They've teamed up with Singapore Tourist Board. So listen up if you fancy travelling for real. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. In conversation now with the co-founder of Naksha. They are there on Spinney's shelves, uh, helping you explore the world through food. And the latest destination is Singapore. Co-founder Nisha is with us and joined by Chef Heikel, who they have collaborated with to create the latest dish. Um, Chef, thank you for being with us. We have spoken before. It's lovely to have you back. Um, You are the exec chef at the helm of Alma Restaurant in Singapore, and you've been working with the team on the latest recipe kit. Tell us what dish we can find. All right. So you can find find the asam pedas, lemak chili padi, and of course the uh, ngau hiang. Right. I don't know anything about any of these dishes, so you're going to have to break them down for me, Chef. I've never been to Singapore, All right. so tell us, tell us more. All right. <laughs> okay, okay, uh, okay. The first one will be uh, the asam pedas. All right, the asam pedas is a uh, is a dish uh, from a Malay uh, background. It, it has a, a bit of Thai influence to it, and it comes from the island of uh, 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 one of the islands in Indonesia. But it has a very similar flavor to a tom yum, mm. right? So you have it has a chili, chilies, uh, fish, and the most important thing is a tamarind, right? Uh, so it's a sweet, sour, mm. and spicy. And then the second one would be my all-time favorite is the lemak chili padi. Okay, lemak means uh, coconut, mm. uh, chili padi means the uh, bird eye chili, right? So here we have a uh, variation of uh, spices. Of uh, uh, lemongrass, galangal, besides uh, chili, and uh, of course coconut milk. It's, it's like a stew, right? Which mm-hmm. you can uh, you can do it with chicken, you can do it with fish, you can do it with prawn, and also with you can make it vegetarian, right? And then the last one is one of our uh, iconic uh, like a snack. Uh, all these snacks it's called the mohyang. It's uh, it's a minced meat. Actually, served with uh, our homemade five spice, Chinese five spice. Uh, we have our own special blend for this uh, collaboration, right? And then um, it's something that we have it uh, around tea time or early in the morning, yeah. 
Oh, right. I'm hungry. Um, so this is going to be uh, basically helping us make some Singapore food, perhaps the first time, or taking you back to your travels, thanks to Naksha. Now, can I ask you, um, Nisha, about this golden ticket? What do we need to know about the Singapore Tourist Board um, collaboration? Mm, yeah, so so we have a bit of a treasure hunt kicking <gasps> off in the UAE um, at Spinney's and Waitrose stores. So... Um, Basically, just, just stepping back slightly, um, the three new kits that we've launched, the Singapore kits, are in collaboration with the Singapore Tourism Board, and the recipes have actually been designed by Chef Heiko, who's a Michelin star chef. Amazing. Um, yeah, so much fun, and people can actually make these at home now. So we have um, a bit of a treasure hunt, so people can find golden tickets inside a few kits, five kits, in specific Spinney's and Waitrose stores across the UAE. And if you find a golden ticket, kind of like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka style, if you find a golden ticket, you win lots of fun uh, prizes, including a private cooking masterclass with Chef Heiko. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Designer crockery, lots of fun stuff. I love this. So a bit of a, a bit of an education in food, an easy dinner at home, and the chance to win as well. Massive congratulations on all of the all of the hard work that's been going on behind the scenes. I know you've got a really loyal following, um, and it's fantastic to see you kind of con- continue to collaborate. As you say, Chef Heikel, Michelin star Singaporean chef who is lending his expertise to the latest collection of Naksha. Thank you so much, Nisha. Really, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Um, and now I've got a hankering for Singaporean, which I've never actually eaten before. So I think your work here is done. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Talking food and health today, and in recent years, functional foods have gained popularity within health and wellness circles and becoming more mainstream. They're also known as kind of nutraceuticals, so highly nutritious, associated with a number of powerful health benefits, whether that's protecting against disease, preventing deficiencies, and promoting proper growth and development. So what should we be stocking up on and avoiding? Joining us on the line is functional medicine health coach, Mina Salim. How are you, Mina? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being with us today. Um, I've got lots of questions for you. We've already had a number of messages coming in from listeners as well, because I feel like this is an area that we're only starting to talk about. And we, you know, I think about my dad and that post-war generation. And to him, you know, food is fuel. He's got no emotions. And I think about me and me and food is all emotions. And in the middle somewhere, there's this functional space where we think about the good we could be getting from our food and how it can be even affecting the way we feel. So before we get into some of the text messages, Muna, I just wonder what are some of the most common concerns that families come to you with? Um, so a lot of the times now that I'm seeing is parents saying that their kids are extremely picky, right? Mm-hmm. So that they're not eating most of the foods that parents are preparing for dinner. You know, they're struggling with fruits and especially vegetables. You know, kids are eating more like blonde food. So, you know, they'll eat more chicken and rice and pasta. And I have one of those at home as well. I know. And so, you know, we're all struggling with how to get them to expand their diet, how to get them all of these healthy foods that we're we're really listening and hearing so much about, right? Mm -hmm. How easy would it be to to give kimchi and sauerkraut to our kids. I think it's practically impossible to really sit down to think about that Mm -hmm. because of the benefits that they have to our gut health. But um, that's really one of the the biggest things that I'm hearing from parents. But then also the addiction to a lot of these foods, right? So, um, you know, there's 
only certain kinds of chicken nuggets that kids will eat. There's only exists copious amounts of milk that they would want to drink, um, you know, sweet treats and, and things like that. And then when you go to a grocery store, there, the marketing is so well done to basically get your kids to want just, you know, the ones that are like laden with sugar and um, the things that come out of boxes that when you make the food at home, whether it's the same chicken nuggets you try to replicate at home, you it's just not have, uh, it's not going to work. <laughs> um, so what, what are some of the most useful practical bits of advice that have really resonated with families when it comes to getting some goodies into our kiddies? Um, should they know about it? Should we be hiding veg or is it more to do with that kind of persistence of just keeping putting peas on the plate? So I think it's a bit of both, right? So um, like I said, I have a five-year-old who I've been trying to expand his diet as well. But there's so you do expose them. You have to keep and they keep talking about the number of exposures can be sometimes if it's carrots, you know, you have to expose them a hundred times to carrots oh, before wow. they actually get it into their mouth. But it's also about wanting to make sure that we're looking at a lot of the underlying conditions. So a lot of times it's kind of circular, but we our children might have nutrition deficiencies that might be causing them to have a very uh, bland palate, that they're not able to tolerate flavor. So making sure that we go and we see our pediatricians and we make sure that they check all of their nutrient levels to see if they're at par and then to kind of expand from there, making sure that they're exposed to the food, but then also try to find foods that are safe for them, that they will be um, willing to, you know, over time add things to. So if it's if it's lasagna that they like, then maybe try to add one vegetable at a time mm-hmm. and then see how they tolerate that. And okay. then from there, just building it on. But taking their confidence in building that one food at a time. It just feels like a full-time job. If I could go back it in really time is. and, you know, I guess do better as a parent, I, you know, and, and really dedicate myself to this. I might have kids who are like, yummy cabbage or, you know, but they're, they're just not. So it's really interesting yeah. to hear about what you can do. Um, we've had um, questions on this. We've actually had a question um, asking about um, a kind of snacks for kids and also eating at the desk. We've had a question about food for fertility and men and women. We've also had this message from Shamil. My name is Shamil and uh, I just had a question um, my son has been, di- has been diagnosed with mild autism, so his diet is very limited. I mean, he doesn't, uh, doesn't eat anything or everything. So his diet mainly revolves around rice with lentils, rice with chicken mince, rice with carrots. Anything new, yeah, he has to smell it first. Slight touch on, on, on the tongue if he doesn't like the taste or anything. He doesn't even want that in front of him. So cucumbers or any other veggies, uh, uh, spinach, absolutely no go for him. So he's 12 now. Uh, we don't know. We're trying new things every day, but he doesn't eat anything from outside as well. Mm-hmm. It's all home cooked. So I don't know. I mean, is there anything else that we can try? Thanks for that, Shamil. What comes to mind there? I mean, you know, when you're hearing about a boy who's got mild autism and is seemingly suspicious of food from outside the home and is reluctant to try new things. Yeah, so I do work with a lot of kids on the spectrum. And so one of the first things I do is get um, them to get a nutrient panel done. A lot of times when kids have low zinc levels, it what it tends to do is it um, you, you lose 
taste of food or food starts to taste really bitter or really um, just not palatable. And so that's one of the first things that we do is just make sure that the nutrient levels are right. And then kids um, on the spectrum have a lot of gut issues. And so addressing those and uh, making sure that we correct a lot of those imbalances, because just from that, there is a lot of reliance in eating um, foods that we're addicted to. So things like rice, things like, um, uh, you know, milk, things like um, bread and pasta, there's a lot of reliance in eating those kinds of food. Um, and, and then we're just almost not expanding that um and, and, and that's and that's completely understandable isn't it because you know when you think about the time well first of all the cost of buying food the time it takes to cook it and then have to have that food rejected you know it, it feels yeah. like in a bit it, it is a rejection you know of your time and, and your efforts and your love so i that's i completely understand the reluctance to, to keep kind of persisting but you think for um for this listener perhaps to go back to the doctor and get some bloods done check for any deficiencies and then and go from there would that make sense yeah for sure Amazing. yeah no for sure and then also just keep trying right um you can we, we have to as parents almost separate us ourselves from mm-hmm. the fact that the kids are eating it or not so our <laughs> job is to put it on the table and expose them and then eventually they will come around as long as they don't have too many underlying conditions that are stopping them so you know we as parents have two roles one to put it on the table but also to make sure that we correct and we address a lot of the interla- underlying root causes that might be there you're listening to farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 joining us live on the line is mamina salem she's a functional medicine health coach taking your questions on the text line on the whatsapp and the app as well um i mean i've had a number of messages about uh well, various aspects to do you specialize with families but also in adults as well um these texts are across the spectrum so i hope that's okay um basma yeah, saying i've given up sugar for health reasons but the weight loss wasn't added bonus but what can i eat at my desk i used to munch my way through chocolate and biscuits but replace them with breadsticks and dry crackers i've just been told they're just sugar in another form but i'm not sure what to swap it swap it for i've tried fruit it's not filling enough i'm vegetarian which probably doesn't help any suggestions for some desk friendly snacks for basma so i think one of the first things to look when we when we're looking at just our meals and even snacks to make sure that they're balanced right so when she's talking about eating crackers separately or fruit separately, what it's missing is a fat and a protein, right? So if it's not a complete balanced snack, we probably are going to get peckish sooner than eat more. And so if you are going to eat a fruit, then pair it with some nuts, pair it with some fruit. Maybe if you want to pair it with some protein, so maybe some hard-boiled eggs um, and things like that. So things that you can balance all three, the protein, carb, and the fat, um, and then same goes for kids when they go to school, right? Making sure that we, we balance out their their meals um, that way. And then what you will notice over time is that if your meals are balanced, you're going to be moving towards snacking a lot less. Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to be wanting to sit at the table and mindlessly eat. You want to like stop, give it like a few minutes where you're giving it all of your attention. So you know how much you're eating when you feel full, you kind of stop then. But making sure to to balance out the fat, the protein and the carb at every snack really helps. Makes sense to me. Um, can I ask you, Mamina, about the link between food and mood? And I'm, I'm not sorry, just talking about, you know, when you find a tube of mini eggs in the back of the cupboard. Um, what do we know about the, the gut-mind connection? Is there anything you'd recommend incorporating to help in that diet for mental health? 
Yeah, so the gut really controls a lot of our mood and the way how how our brain functions uh, because a lot of our neurotransmitters are in our gut and they're controlled by the bacteria that is in our gut. And we have almost 5% of our body weight is um, uh, are, are those bacteria. Yeah. So it's really about making sure that we have more of the good bacteria than the bad, so making sure that that balance is more tipped towards um, good bacteria. So we want to feed them that. We want to feed them with healthy, fibrous food, um, vegetables, making sure that we're giving them good kinds of fruit, right? So we're not overlading it with with um, fruit, but we're giving it like a good, um, diverse color and, um, and a rainbow of not just fruits and vegetables, making sure a lot of people, if they are eating meat, then we're get, going for good quality meat, right? So we mm-hmm. want to go for grass fed meat. We want to go for organic chicken. We're going for um, pasture-raised eggs. And then same thing with fruits and vegetables, making sure that we're eating them organic. And if we can't eat organic, then making sure that we at least look at the EWG, which is the Environmental Working Group's um, Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen, Mm -hmm. and making sure that we're at least the dirty dozen we're getting is organic food. So um, making sure that we're able to put some good probiotics in our in our diet. So like I mentioned earlier, kimchi and sauerkraut, but then at the same time, yogurt, right? Um, things like that, eating more fiber in our diet because that really goes and helps to feed that bacteria well. So it's it's really trying to... Uh, be more conscious about the food that we're putting into our body because it's really all information. Mm -hmm. When we're going to go towards more um, sugar-heavy foods, we're feeding the bad bacteria and it's just going to grow and grow. And then the more bad bacteria there is, it's basically going to start to inhibit a lot of those neurotransmitter functions that connect to our mood. And then when we work with children, for example, it's just their emotions, their behavior. Children with ADHD have a lot of trouble with that, Mm -hmm. but also adults, right? So we're seeing those, we're seeing more and more in adults as well, that they're starting to get these diagnoses that, that were missed when they were younger. But, you know, the connection to food is exactly the same. We need to go back to trying to eat clean and make sure that the foods that we're eating um, don't have any additives and dyes and um, a lot of these chemicals emulsifiers. So going back to reading labels and being more clear about um, what that food is. So the closer to nature that it is, Mm -hmm. the better for us, right? The fresher it is, um, not packaged, the more nutrients we're going to get from that, which is really good for our body and, and our gut to really grow and, and be able to absorb a lot of those nutrients as well that we need. Maria, thank you so much for your time today. I want to squeeze in one last question. I'm going to get a dirty look from my producer for, for squeezing this in. I'm actually saying, uh, would appreciate any insights on food for fertility um, in both men and women. No name on that one. Can you give us a very quick answer just to help out this listener? So I think eating a lot of good fats is okay. something that is, is super essential. And then again, trying to cut down the sugar. So getting uh, a lot of the processed food and the processed sugars um, would really, really help. And that goes both for men and for women. So a lot of healthy fats and less processed sugar, for sure. Mamina, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really fascinating to get your take on this. Um, We did have a number of messages. So if anyone wants to get in touch with Mamina, please do message me on 4001 um, and I'd be happy to share her details. We'd love to have you back on the show and explore this further. But in the meantime, have a lovely weekend. 
Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.